coach your old bitch. And you listen to that anchor with your boy Belts. And now you know I've been real busy. You ain't been on this uh, a little, uh, reloaded in a little much. But I'm, I'm here now. And your boy Belts when we talking about you know being under the gun, baby. And that's like what uh, you gotta make a you gotta make a decision real quick. You know before someone else reacts, you gotta react like this. Um, well, I mean, look at the damn coaching carousel thing going around. You know, our coaching casserole. Because <laughs> I mean, some of them boys half baked. Oh, and the stupid decisions they be making. And, uh, you know, like, one boy, like, well, I got to move now because if I don't move now, then they going to move. And if they move, then I don't move. You know, I mean, you watch it going around with them, a lot of them coaches and big-time coaches and all, you know. And uh, speaking of which, I was at Notre Dame the other day. <laughs> I, got that, I know that's got a lot of people screwed up in the head. But um, anyway, you know, you got to – sometimes you got to jump that gun, baby, make that choice that, you know, before that choice get made for you. But, uh, you know, I want you to choose this and that there anchor. You know, I hope my Yankees do better. Uh, I'm glad them, uh, them Pelicans, they're doing all right, you know. They whooped up on them, on them sons last night. That's all good. Everything's good in Coach O, Hood. I want y'all to take it sleazy. Listen to that there anchor. And I am Coach O, bitch. Go Tigers. What the hell is that? You know what it is, bitch. Bang! Welcome to the Sports Antelope, episode number 96, Under the Gun. Is that because the Top Gun? I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I'm your host, Danny Belts. we got a good one for you today. That's it. Sing it, Kenny. Just sing it. Preach to these people. We're going to talk about Coach K versus Jay Wright. If you didn't know, Jay Wright, the fantastic coach of Villanova, just stepped down very unceremoniously, uh, very quiet under the radar. We're going to talk about that not at length, but it needs to be mentioned. I watched some of The Daily Show with Trevor Noah recently. I got to tell you, that show still being on the air does also disprove atheism, as many other things do as well. We'll be comparing Under the Gun. Obviously, we're going to stick with the poker theme. I don't like poker. It's okay. I'll make it interesting for you. There's different ways you can be under the gun, not just on the poker table. We have to discuss that. Boy, the Pelicans' Suns series just got pretty serious, though, didn't it? If you didn't know, Booker's out. This is just crazy. The Pelicans may actually come out of this thing somehow. Give it to him, Kenny. Yes, yes, we just had to emphasize that in there. I just want to play some shirtless volleyball. As we near Top Gun's premiere, you're probably thinking I'm abnormally weirder than usual, especially after last week. But yeah, I am. It's just, it's just that simple. So let's talk about this real quick. So Coach K, oh, before I get into that, be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Reach out, touch a brother, tell somebody about the Sports Antidote, and follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antidote. Please go out and do that now if you haven't. Write us a good review. Hit the like button, whatever, all that stuff. So if you hadn't seen somehow, because it's really going pretty quiet, Jay Wright, the head coach of Villanova's basketball team, who is the consummate professional, as Villanova still has to stand to a lot of academic um, thresholds, unlike other schools in North Carolina, uh, in Raleigh-Durham in particular. But Villanova, you don't see many one-and-dones coming out of there, but they're a perennial contender every year. You know, Jay Wright has his, has his rings, and, and it just it shows a lot of who a person is, the way they go out. And you didn't even really hear Jay Wright say a word. I have heard some, I think personally he's going to end up in the NBA. I could be totally wrong there. He kind of fits me as a Billy Donovan type. But at the same time, it's important to note that Jay Wright is just as good as coach as Coach K. If you ask me who the better coach is, it's not even close. All right, Jay Wright is 20 times better than Coach K. That's me. That's my opinion. Uh, but I believe that to be 100% accurate. Uh, Jay Wright, these guys, no matter who he has, when he has great players, they're going to go deep. And when he has players that are usually up to the snuff of the other guys, they're still going to go deep into the tournament, as they did again this year. And they just didn't really have the talent. But they're always going to be a force. No one rolls out of bed and goes, oh, sick, we played Villanova today. No, it's usually going to be a battle. And Jay Wright has his people ready to play every single practice, every single day. I would pay money to be in one of Villanova's practices just so I can watch how this man goes about business 
when he's not coaching. Because I guarantee you, 95% of his coaching is not done during the game. He's just one of those guys. You can bet your ass on that. But anyway, let's compare these two men. So, you know, Coach K goes out. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it has to be noted. We had the whole farewell tour. And yes, (laughs) the NCAA sets them up to have the easiest path ever to the Final Four, and they make it. And, you know, they almost went to the finals. Thank God North Carolina took care of them. But it just shows the difference in men. See, one guy has class and one guy does not. Jay Wright might be sick of all the NILs. He might not be liking the portal. He might not be liking the direction things are going. And so he just retires, which is kind of crazy. They're going to be in good hands. But notice there's no parade. There's no festival. Like, there's none of this insanity that Coach K has to have on his way out. And Jay Wright clearly wouldn't even want that to begin with. That just shows the type of coach that he is, the type of man that he is. And it should be noted, I will be on the record as saying he might be one of the best coaches ever, maybe top five in college basketball as every single year for as long as I can remember. He's also been the best dress coach, period, hands down. Uh, He just continuously puts forth a tremendous product for a great program, great to watch. And I'm going to miss Jay Wright from Villanova. And I hope he lands on his feet somewhere. Maybe he just wants to spend all his money in Tahiti at the beach. I don't know. But I wish him well and hope to see him coaching again one day. I do not think he's retiring from coaching maybe a couple years off. But I do think you'll see him, in my opinion, in the NBA at some point. The Daily Show was on recently, and I – Tuned into Trevor Noah, and I, you know, I don't know if you guys have a chance to really watch this. I watched the Daily Show with John Stewart from time to time, but I never really got into it much, just because it's I don't know. I mean, I don't really agree with much they're saying, but that's fine. Like I don't need necessarily agree with anything that's being said and or disagree. As long as it's entertaining, I'll probably watch for many reasons. But in this instance, I don't know if anyone has noticed if you actually do watch this show or not, but. It is so awful. It is so terrible. The people he has on this show, come on, it's basically the I Hate Whitey show. And, And really, I know no one watches it because Comedy Central, they post, you can still look at Neeson ratings for individual channels. Comedy Central has nothing good aside from South Park and now they syndicate The Office. Other than that, there's really no reason to watch Comedy Central because there's nothing funny happening on Comedy Central, as is there's no music videos playing on MTV. Uh, so Comedy Central, aside from the being woke AF and all of this, it's just such a bad product. Like Even Jimmy Kimmel's show will make me chuckle sometimes if I'm watching that. Because I don't like Jimmy Kimmel, but he's actually a kind of a funny guy. And he's good off the cuff. He is pretty funny. His dry humor, he pulls it off. I don't really think Fallon, I think he's a complete hack. And I think that, you know, Colbert's a hack. I never thought he was funny. But Trevor Noah is so unfunny that it's almost startling how Comedy Central continues to double and triple down. South Park, the ratings for Comedy Central go off a cliff when South Park's new episode is done coming into The Daily Show on a Wednesday night. It is almost unfathomable. And then he hosts awards. He has these endorsements. No one watches his show. No one. You can go look at this. The Neeson ratings has it in like the quantifiable, like it's the quantifiable margin of error. As in like you can't even, it's a matter of like how many tens of thousands of people are watching this on a major network after millions of people just watch South Park. You're in the best seat in the house. You, you, people are already have your show on when the very popular show ends and they abruptly turn it off because it's just not funny and there's no other way to get around it. But I just don't see a scenario where this gets any better for Comedy Central. I don't understand why they brought this guy in. And I can watch this show objectively, but, man, I'm telling you, it is horrible. He's not funny at all. His writers aren't that funny. And his delivery is terrible even when they write him a funny joke. That's one thing John Stewart crushed is delivery. Say what you want about John Stewart. This man could deliver the bomb when you gave it to him. Boom, goes the dynamite. He was good at that. This man is not. And I think it's very strange to see this, this charade continue on Comedy Central, which no doubt is monetarily costing them, especially with their sponsors, because I wouldn't want to have a sponsor. I wouldn't want to be an advertiser for Pepsi, Coke, or Doritos or whatever, Bud Light on that. No one's watching it. 
why are we paying a premium? 10 million people are watching South Park almost, but then you have like 50,000 people watching The Daily Show? Okay, well, not paying you anything. Uh, you can pay me to advertise at that point. It is just something that should be noted. Man, is he just not funny and not good at making... He's not really... He's just not good at making jokes and stuff. I guess that's the best way to put it. So, quick segue to sports before we jump into being under the gun. The Pelicans' son. So, they did get blown out game one in the first half. And the Pelicans held the Suns in game one to 52 first half points, which is almost 10 points below their average at home. It's the fewest amount of points they've scored in Phoenix in the first half with or without Chris Paul in two years since Chris Paul has been there. The problem was the Pelicans shot 23% in the first half. So it was 52 to, what was it, 52 to 33 going into halftime, in which case you'd most likely get blown out at that point. You're the nine seed. You're just happy to be here. You played your way in. You deserve to be here by the rules of the NBA and the confines of the laws. You are you fully deserve to be here and should be happy and proud that you are. Now you're playing the best team in the NBA, and you're down by 19. You've scored 30-something points in the first half, and they whittled this thing back to an eight-point deficit. And, man, at one point, that game got really hairy. They ended up losing the game by 11. The point spread was 10.5. <laughs> but in the next game, the line opened up at 9.5. And clearly you knew that if the Pelicans just don't shoot 23% in the first half, they may have won that game. And they didn't shoot 23% in the first half of game two, and the Pelicans won that game. They led for almost 90% of the basketball game. And to throw things to boot, Booker, their leading scorer, one of their best players, one of the most electric players in the NBA, has a hamstring issue, and he's going to miss two games minimum. As this goes back to New Orleans for the heart of the series, it's going to be rowdy in there. It's going to be packed. And since C.J. McCollum has come to the Pelicans, they have won almost 65% of their basketball games. And, man, this got interesting overnight real quick as this is going to go deep. This is not going to be a five or six. Maybe the Suns are a four or five. Well, it can't be four. It's going to be five or six. I do think it may even go to seven, the rubber match being out there in Phoenix. But if New Orleans can win one of these two at home, they can guarantee that it comes back to New Orleans for a game six at minimum. And I feel that, you know, this series might go really sideways without Booker. They can win without Chris Paul. I'm not saying he's not their best player. He most certainly is. But not having this score. Mm, that's going to hurt. That's going to be interesting to see kind of where they fall in place here. I personally would not, if I'm, if I'm a Phoenix fan, I am not sitting uh, too pretty right now at all. I don't think things look good to say the least, but we'll find out what happens in this series. But the best team in the NBA is just playing a team that's 10 games below 500, played their way in as a ninth seed, and here they are tied with one of their best players out. Things got interesting real quick. Real quick. Under the gun. So last week we talked about the hijack position where that was. And I want to talk about under the gun. And we're not going to get too deep into the poker aspect of things I played last night. Did really well. But under the gun means you're first to act. And we mentioned this last week. But we didn't really get into it. And we're not. But I am going to hover around this so you understand what I'm getting at. Being under the gun is a good way to put it because there is a gun to you. It almost feels like it is. In a full poker table, you're going to have nine people, eight or nine people staring at you uh, because you're first to act. And that is a very bad place to be in. Even if you're not on a poker table, you never want to act first because although you think you're doing something that people react to, that's really not how it works in this situation. You're reacting to your hand and your position that you're in is going to dictate how other people react and they're going to get the final say the farther away from you, the closer to the button, the better decision or higher probability or the worse the odds get for you that you're going to win this hand. Even if you have the best starting hand in poker, pocket aces, and you decide to raise, People will automatically put you on a good hand anyway. So your range, as far as what people think you have, is not going to, you're not really going to sneak up on anybody raising $30 first to act. People already think you have aces, kings, ace, king, queens, something along those lines uh, when you come out of position like that with a race. So you're not going to fool anybody, is what I'm saying. There's a lot of ways to play big hands under the gun, which we're not going to get into. But when you're under the gun in poker, it really sucks. I hate it. Honestly, I almost fold that nine out of ten times. I mean, I got to have a good hand. I got to figure out what I'm going to do with that hand. 
I got to figure out how to disguise this hand or whatever if I do have a big one. And I think a lot of times what I see at the table is people underplay, overplay. Sometimes the best thing to do is fold, but sometimes you can't when you're under the gun, not on the poker table. So if you're sitting on the other side of the table and you're looking at the person first to act, more than likely they fold. But see, sometimes people call when they're first to act under the gun. There's not a weaker thing in poker or in life you can do than call. I hate calling. I hate it. I like to fold. I like to raise. I don't like to call. There's a lot of reasons why I don't like it. It's not how you really win. Yes, I'll call. Of course, there's times when I will. You can't always raise and fold. That's ridiculous. But there's going to come times where you have to make these very, very difficult decisions and you're first to act. And what you do here is undoubtedly, undoubtedly, unequivocally going to affect the chain of actions to come. If you're first to act in a poker game and you fold, that's going to affect what the next few people do, regardless of if you stayed in the hand or not. If you raise, that will most certainly affect the person next to you. He may have just called the big blind, but now you've made a 20. He's in bad position. He doesn't like his hand, so now he's out. And this drastically affects everyone else's hand as you go down the line clockwise on your way towards the button, the small blind, and then the big blind. You can take that in many different ways, but when you are first to act, everything you do is going to have a consequence thereafter, and not just on that poker table either. Not at all. Yesterday, when I was playing, or actually last week, I was under the gun with pocket kings. So I have the second to best starting hand, okay? I have pocket kings, and this table was live. And in other words, there's raising happening. No one's seeing a flop cheap. There's always somebody. There's, there's two bets, three bets, four bets. That's when I raised and a re-raise, and someone re-raises that guy. That's a four bet. That's crazy. I saw it happen several times. People representing big strength, late in position with pocket kings early. Yeah, I love pocket kings. But in this position, if I come out and bet, they know that I'm a pretty good player. They know I'm not going to try to bluff out of position. It makes no sense. So in this instance, they know that I'm going to have strength, but I don't want them to know that. So I call. And a couple guys thought that to be fishy, I could tell, because they know I'm not going to call out of position. A couple of them did not call when they may have. And, of course, somebody raised late, and then I re-raise him, three-bet him, and he knows, uh-oh, this kid limped in with a monster, and now he's making it known that he has a big one. And he ends up actually losing everything to me because he had queens, and I wasn't letting these go pre-flop. I will not fold kings pre-flop ever. And he ended up jamming it in. If he has ace king and I'm drawn to, he's drawn to an ace, so be it. If he has aces and I'm dead, well, it happens. Well, it didn't work out like that. I'm glad that I did put him in a spot where this is, I made it his only decision for him with what he had in front of him. But that's beside the point. There's a lot of ways to play under the gun, no matter where you are, a poker table, in your office, at your kitchen table. It doesn't matter. But when you're first to act, you have to do something. <laughs> that's what I'm kind of getting at. Fold, call, raise. Those are your options. There is no fourth option. I'm not going to tell you which one's best, but you can't always cold. Cold. <laughs> you can't always fold. You can't always call. And you can't always raise. But you're going to have to do one of those three. So here's an example that is not talked about nearly enough. And I know that you know the story, but you probably don't know a lot of the background about this story. And I'll tell you real quick how this affected the NASDAQ in sports basically forever. If you remember, a long time ago, and after the hurricane, when the Saints uh, had still had Aaron Brooks, he got hurt, 10 other quarterbacks, it was a horrible season, they're playing most of their games in Tiger Stadium, it's hot as hell, there's 5,000 people there, they're terrible. A whole revamping was coming, a new coach, a new program, a new everything. And the Saints managed to get Drew Brees. Well, people don't really realize how that happened. And Saban was under the gun. Saban was first to act. Okay? Now, sometimes you'd think that'd be a good place to be in if you're a GM or a coach. Not necessarily. If I was a general manager and I had the first pick in the draft, that's not exactly the best seat in the house. I wouldn't want to go first. Because, really, the odds of the person that you're picking first, the odds of it panning out, are really not that good. But the odds of you getting in trouble for drafting someone and it not working out 
are actually really good. As a matter of fact, it happens all the time. And I will stand next to the fact I do not think Trevor Lawrence is going to be a good NFL quarterback. I have said that throughout his college career. I will continue that now. It did not help that he went to Jacksonville, but I'm sorry. I just don't think he has it. Surrounded by all that talent in college, never really made it to New York. Um, I don't think he did. I know he did in his sophomore year. He did in his junior year. He had a huge freshman year uh, as far as the Heisman goes. I'm not saying the Heisman's the end-all, be-all. I understand he passes the eye test wildly, big hands, he's fast, he's strong, he has a cannon, quick release, but it clearly is not working out for him early. That's not to say that it won't down the road. I could be wrong. It didn't work out for Aaron Rodgers early. He's probably the best quarterback ever. That's right, I said that. And I'll defend that. I'll die on that hill with data. So you can keep the whole, but Tom Brady has all these championships. You know what's so funny? When the Falcons were coughing up that lead and the Patriots were coming back in the Super Bowl, was it Tom Brady at middle linebacker forcing three and outs versus the best offense in the NFL? One of the best offenses in the history of the NFL that year? No. I haven't heard anyone talk about the Patriots' defense in any of these Super Bowls that continuously had major impacts. That aside, Saban had a big decision to make, if you remember. Dante Culpepper was available from the Minnesota Vikings, as was Drew Brees from the Kansas City Chargers. The Kansas City Chargers. Wow. <laughs> You've been drinking bounce? I guess so. Oh, jeez. The San Diego Chargers. I'm going to keep that. I like the, the Kansas City Chargers. You know, the San Diego Chiefs. And they had a big decision to make. And they opted to go, as you know, with Dante Culpepper. The story behind that is actually pretty amazing. <coughs> Saban had to make a quick decision because the Saints were heavily involved in this as well and really were putting pressure on the Dolphins to make a decision because the Saints had made it known that they were also very interested in both these quarterbacks, but they really were interested in Drew Brees the entire time. Here's a recent quote from Nick Saban about eight months ago. I'm going to read this to you. This is a direct quote from him. So I decided right when that happened, when that happened being they didn't make the playoffs as they lost their last two games to finish 8-8. Eight and eight. That's what he's referencing here. So again, so when I decided when that happened that we don't have a quarterback in the NFL, we're not going to win any games. I'm getting out of here. I'm not staying here. I'm not going to be responsible for this. The doctor didn't know his ass from a handful of sand. Drew Brees plays 15 more years, wins the Super Bowl, goes to nine Pro Bowls, and we didn't take him in Miami. Here he wanted to go. Some things you can't control. When we left there, nobody understood why. Well, that was why there's always a reason. Saban had even flown to Birmingham in Alabama to sign Breeze after the shoulder surgery by the sports surgeon, Dr. Andrews, very famous guy. And Saban said that Andrews signed off on Breeze and told Saban his shoulder would be fine, but the Dolphins doctors felt differently. The Dolphins doctors basically stacked up their chips and said, Nick, they're lying to you. So now Nick is under the gun. Now he's looking across the poker table, and he sees strength. These doctors are saying, we got it. But then you have the guy that actually did surgery on Breeze telling you, look, he's good to go. And then you have your own medical team telling you he's not. So what are you going to do? It's easy now to decide which one was right. Of course, Dante Culpepper, <laughs> what did he do? Besides, get, basically gained another 20 pounds and was out of the league in a couple years as Breeze went on to be one of the greatest quarterbacks of all times. But it wasn't all Saban's fault because he's not a doctor. And also, the general manager, at the acting GM at the time, Saban had a lot of GM responsibility. That was all part of the package when he left LSU. But in this instance, Saban was really the only one that still kind of was sticking to the Drew Breeze thing and inevitably was going to be Still, his kind of final say, and he just called. He didn't fold. He didn't re-raise. Had he re-raised all in and said, we don't get Breeze, I'm leaving, that's an all-in. They would have got Breeze had he done that, he didn't. And because Saban was stuck in that quandary of first to act, and the Saints were later to act, they acted first, they made a poor choice, the Saints acted next, and because they were not first to act in this instance, the Saints got Drew Breeze, and the rest is history. There's a whole nother barrels of information with that story that I'm aware of. Now is not the time. But as a macro example, that is an example of being first to act under the gun. In some instances, you'd think you'd be in a good position here, but you never are. My brother talks about this all the time when in negotiations. First person to say the first number loses. Correct. 
I'll give you an example of that. When I was working with a guy and uh, drinking with a guy in Houston, when I was working in Houston, this guy was in the oil fields, very successful. I accidentally saw his W-2 on his, <laughs> on his uh, kitchen table one day and almost fell out of my seat while he was in the bathroom. We used to go drink at this place called Komodo's right there in Midtown, drinking buddy of mine. Played baseball for ULL, great dude. Uh, almost went to the College Baseball World Series and played LSU. Had ULL in 2000. And one or 2,000 beat Stanford, they play LSU for it all. Instead, they lost, and then LSU beat Stanford for one of Skip Bertman's 50,000 championships. But he, was a, he played minor league ball, was drafted in the 30th round, hit a couple home runs in minor league ball, never made it out of the minors, but still pretty impressive. And he was being recruited by another company in another field. See, he was in the oil industry proper with a huge name you're very familiar with, and a heavy rental company wanted to pull him away. He was going to be able, though, to basically transfer his entire Rolodex to this industry. It was transferable. He even had the backing of these people (laughs) to come. He had it all basically in writing. He was showing them emails. I bring this customer. I got that one. I got that one. And they're just like, oh, my God. So his entire comp package, not counting bonus, was $150,000 in 2010. $150,000 salary as a salesperson is very, very, very high. You are in the 99th percentile. Like That is way high. For not being a VP or a sales manager, just a sales guy, that's a big, fat salary to walk into, not counting the total compensation. He also worked in all kinds of other things. It was a dream job. And they gave him that. And he asked me, joking, why not at the bar, should I counter? I'm like, absolutely, you counter. They want you. So... You're first to act here. I didn't say this, but this is what happened. Come out strong. Come all in and say you want 300000 <coughs> Excuse me, and have them just cut it down accordingly. Well, he thought that was outrageous. Well, anyway, so he gets back into the negotiations, and he asks for two hundred. So he kind of raises first to act because he's first to act here. He's under the gun. And they give him the two hundred immediately. <laughs> so he could have asked for 300 and they probably would have made it a quarter million. But because he was under the gun in a bad spot and didn't flex that big hand that he had because he had every ace in the deck, he was stuck with what he had. He probably could have added another hundred grand to the total comp package for what this dude could bring to the table. And once you put out that first number, you only go down from there. You can't renegotiate back up. It's not how this works. First number loses, but now when the first number is two times that which they offer you, then they move that number back, then everybody wins. But especially you in that situation, he should have came out a lot stronger under the gun, you know, but he didn't. And there's countless examples which I could get into when it comes to this, but one of the more prevalent ones of under the gun is something a lot more serious that I witnessed when I was living in Houston with a guy that I met at a neighboring bar I used to go to a lot. Used to drink an awful lot, if you didn't know. Now, there's a lot of rules about this. It's, it's different. In Texas, things are different. Um, there was a very, very, while this was happening, there was the big uh, Calibero uh, instance that kind of almost went to like the Supreme Court. Basically, they were keeping their dad, this lady's father and the grandparents' grandfather, keeping him alive on life support when the doctors were telling him there's no chance he's going to survive. Now, in Texas, it's different in every state. You can look this up. But in Texas, basically what happens in a private hospital is the committee of the hospital, the ethics committee, will get together. And if they agree that this person needs to be taken off life support, you have 10 days. If you can afford to keep it after your insurance is then is since dried up. You cannot keep someone on life support for five years if you don't have the money. The insurance company will drop that claim. They will, they, they'll find their way out of that every single time. It's in your health care package and your health care benefits. Notice it's like the stack size of the Bible, really. There's a lot of stuff in there that's a sword, not a shield. And who has time to go through all that? Well, in this instance, this Caballero, Mr. Caballero, the senior, uh, he was going to die. His brain was completely dead. And they were keeping him alive on life support. And basically the family was going to run out of money. They didn't have the means to support it, but they 
claimed that it was unethical for them to let go. The ethics committee is then saying for the hospital, no, it is ethical. He can't wake up. So then you have that back and forth there. A hospital, believe it or not, is a business. And at some point, albeit terrible, the hospital is going to have to make a business decision. You put them under the gun, I know what they're going to do. They're going to jam your ass all in. They're not going to sit here and lose hundreds of thousands. There's nothing, hardly anything more. I don't think there's a larger expense in a hospital than keeping someone on 24-7, 365, you know, every minute of the day on life support. It's wildly expensive. I can't, it's priced out differently. It's over $10,000 a day, uh, easily with the amount of medication, the drugs, the support, the actual machinery, blah, blah, blah. Well, that instance took place almost coincidingly with another one that a buddy of mine had ran into one of the most unthinkable situations that happens. And his wife was in a car accident and was up against it. And she was in intensive care, not at St. Luke's. This instance you can read about took place at St. Luke's. My wife actually worked there when we lived in Houston. This one took place at a hospital not too far from there. And the insurance covered what they did. Of course, money came out of pocket to hit the deductible, and the insurance covered most of this, but then there's a time frame where the insurance company is not. Now, this guy had some money set aside, and sometimes he'd come to the bar and literally cry himself. I mean, it was horrible. You'd think you'd say, man, go cry in your room. Like, no, nah, man, this dude has nobody. Like, he was just a, he was an alcoholic. We all were, and... Uh, you know, he he just, this was his exit. He couldn't stay at the hospital the whole time. He had taken off of work. His job was making him go back to work. At some point, all these businesses have to make business decisions. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Unfortunately, that's the reality of the situation. So he is put under the gun like no other. What are you going to do? Of course, he opts to keep his wife alive as long as he can, although the hospital is telling him the unfortunate news that the Caballeras got. Look, there's no other way to say this. Your wife is brain dead. She is not going to wake up, and this is going to cost you your life financially. So he says, F you, of course, you put him under the gun. But then he has to consider they do have two kids. They were older. They were, one was in college, one was out of college. They do have financial obligations. What One of the doctors even told him, what would your wife do? Now that, that is an all-in moment for that doctor <sighs> because that is hardcore. This dude was telling me this drunk in a barroom. I had no idea what to say, so I just listened. But in the poker game of life, to be under the gun and have to make this type of decision we're not talking about taking a has-been, potential has-been quarterback from the West Coast or potentially the guy from the Vikings, right? We're not talking about what do I do with my pocket kings or my aces early to act? Do I disguise it? We're talking about life and death. It really gets no more under the gun than that, does it? No pun intended. After a week of the insurance dropping this off, he opted to keep her alive, and it basically was going to put him into an insurmountable debt, insurmountable debt, until one day he came to the conclusion that he could not do it. He could not say, yes, go ahead. And it came down to a deliberation between now her family and his family, and he almost drank himself to death in the process. You're probably thinking, well, this is a really, this is a really morbid topic. It kind of is, but it shows how far this goes not just the injustices of our health system and all these things, but he had to make probably the most difficult decision I've ever seen in my life. And finally, when they realized there was the money was gone, you're putting yourself in financial peril, all of these things under the gun, he still did not opt to pull that plug. Now, the rest of the story doesn't matter. But even under the gun, with all of this, <laughs> he decided... I call. An unbelievable raise of life. And he called with nothing because he has nothing. And you know what? I still keep in touch with this guy from time to time we talk. We, spoke, we caught up last year before Thanksgiving. And to this day, he's still very happy that he did not have to make that decision. Not because he was a coward, 
but because when he was put in that decision, how could he possibly, under what was all the given circumstances, how could he say yes? I don't know. Do you know what you would do? Well, I don't know what I would do. I, my wife's on life support. I know she would probably want me to, quote, unquote, pull the plug. I'm not doing that shit. I hope for a miracle. That's what he was hoping for, holding out. Maybe he can get runner, 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 make some straight flush. I don't know. It happens. I've seen it. She's in a better place now. And although he was under that gun in the worst spot, right? Nick Saban under the gun with this is nothing. The poker table is nothing. My buddy's job offer. These are huge decisions, though, professionally. But even in life, to get put in a spot like that, even looking back, under the gun, first to act, with the hospital up your ass, all the families up your ass, I thought it was refreshing, even in a situation of death, that he refused to muck that hand. He refused to muck the hand. And not because he wanted necessarily to make a statement. It's because he was holding out under the gun for that miracle. And although it didn't happen, I recently did see it happen. I was with a guy in January who decided after we all left where we were not long ago, got in a car accident and was in the same exact situation. And they had the same almost verbatim decision to make. And somehow he snapped out of it, went from brain dead to not brain dead. And now he's back at his house. It is incredible. It does happen. I won't need to get into that whole story. It does happen. But when you are under the gun in certain situations, just know when folding seems like the only option, even when you know you can't win, maybe in this instance, it's good just to see the whole thing through. Let those cards run out as it may. I respect that guy so much for being under the gun and doing what he did. And I think he's going to live a better life for it. I think that would have haunted him the rest of his life. And it just goes to show you can still show strength, show strength even when you have nothing and even when you have to act first, even when you have 3-5-2-7 offsuit and you have to go, you can still represent aces on the poker table of life. And, and he did just that. Thanks for joining the Sports Antelope. We're going to bring in Bro Exotic, and then we'll have a little Tommy Bench on the back end. Uh, <laughs> it should be interesting. Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Reach out, touch a brother. Tell somebody about the Sports Antelope. We'll be following the NBA playoffs very closely as we get near uh, it's going to be great in the semis. Can't get wait for Can't wait for that. Some baseball stuff we have coming up. Of course, the NFL draft. We'll have to get into that as the Eagles trade away their future to the Saints. As the Saints give away their coming future to the Eagles. Some like interesting things. But just remember, boys and girls, you don't need to kick that hand in when you're under the gun. Although it's the worst place to be. Sometimes you have to show strength even when you don't have it. Anybody seen Bro Exotic? Are you a white person who wants a lot of credit for helping to create racial equality while you do nothing to help create racial equality? If so, that means you want to be a woke white person. So listen up, because I'm going to give you your PhD in wokeology. Bro Exotic, jumping back on the sports antidote. What's going on, pal? What's going on, dude? Bro Exotic, vice perp of Cal, Church of Woke. What's going on, dude? Sick. Well, nothing we've seen in the past. The Church of Wokes flex their their monetary reach into movies. We've seen that into food and beverage with Buffalo Ride Wings. And now it appears uh, the, the Woke Pope and the Church of Woke and yourself, of course, is now <clears throat> going towards the airlines. Uh, there's rumors about this all over Twitter. Is this correct? Uh, that's true, dude. Uh, we, uh, this is in direct response to the mask mandates being lifted off of airlines. And uh, we're trying to give the people what they want, man. Uh, they want to be told when to wear masks. And uh, how often they should wear them. So we created an airline to uh, f- uh, fulfill that need. So I can only imagine, um, you know, I know I don't know what the airline's called. You didn't tell me that. And I'm glad you didn't. I was trying to think of some ridiculous names of which you would be calling this airline because it's no doubt it's going to be woke AF. So without uh, <laughs> without any more drum roll, just uh, what's the airline going to be called? Uh, it's going to be called uh, Pan Am Airways. Uh, I'm trying to see. Watch that movie, Catch Me If I Can, or something. I don't know. They're oh, Pan no, I'm sorry. Dude. Yeah, you might be thinking of uh, Pan American. We're actually, uh, we're pansexual American <laughs> airways. <laughs> I walked right into that one. That's like a <laughs> poker trap. I mean, you check, I bet you're all in. Pansexual airlines. Yeah, uh, pan- pansexual American. Pansexual American airlines. 
<laughs> All right, that makes perfect sense. I was I was wondering, like, uh, wait for it, and there it is. So uh, I have a few questions about this hairline. I'm just gonna fire off. Um, first and foremost, uh, I'm just let's start in the cockpit. Do the pilots have to wear masks? Or is this... <laughs> Come on, dude. You know, no. Our pilots don't simply just wear masks. Oh, I mean, okay. I mean, like if if their vax booster or their masks don't don't work, if they fail, who's gonna fly the plane if they die of COVID mid-flight from LA to Portland? I mean, they have to wear. <laughs> uh, we make them wear military-grade bio suits with a uh, MIRA. Uh, CM's uh, 6M tactical gas mask, full face uh, respirator with uh, CBR in defense. That's uh, chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear uh, for those threats. Uh, and COVID is uh, one of them. But of course, wow. So, so full mask, kind of like a Top Gun mask, something like that. Like so, something like that, dude. Yeah. Tom Cruise was uh, getting no COVID in that movie. Right. Okay. That's that's interesting. So, the pilots are indeed wearing masks. Um, so, quick question about, uh, let's see, what comes to mind? Ah, yes. What about the spirit animals? Uh, if I have a animal that I like, a dog or a cat or something I need to help support my, you know, on this flight, do they need to wear a mask as well? So, yes, all animals are given specialized uh, CPDC certified masks. That's uh, <laughs> the Central for Disease Pack Control. Uh, we uh, we have roughly 125 different uh, species gender masks to offer based on your specific safe space uh, service animal, ranging for from uh, you know dogs and cats to dogs and cats who identify as non-binary gender queers with Zimze pronouns. <laughs> that's uh, that is quite unbelievable. Uh, so we have okay, so the animals have to well, okay, so you have that covered as well. Um, I don't want to get too morbid here. Is there a situation uh, in which someone is unmasked? What happens if we're flying? Let's say we're flying from LA. Seems very feasible for pansexual airlines. And on the way to Portland, somebody decides. What exactly? Yeah, are dude, we doing? Uh, I, there's, I mean, they're simply thrown into the cargo section council bridge. Uh, which, is, <laughs> which is filled with several Chinese bats and penguins. Uh, you know, it's to show them that A, COVID isn't a joke, and B, your pathetic A-type cisgender patriarchy promoting white privilege is almost as bad as Virginian domestic terrorist uh, racist parents in, uh, <laughs> for the schools who want to deny their kids the truth that white ain't right and uh, whiteness is rooted in evil. Uh, the devil is white after all. Just ask Louis Farrakhan. <laughs> yes, I guess we could ask you, uh, bro. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm leaving something out here. I had. I feel like there's a an area I'm not quite covering. Is there anything else maybe I've missed here with pansexual airlines, or is is that basically it? Uh, I mean, we do have strict uh eating and drinking policies on. Board. Oh yes, well, okay, well, no, that you bring up a good point there. So, um, yeah, go ahead. What, what's up with the eating and drinking policy in general? If somebody has to. Food. I'm glad you brought that up. If someone has to eat food or drink a drink, surely the church awoke in pansexual airlines will allow them to unmask to hydrate and nourish, correct? Well, I mean, much like the 2020 NBA season, uh, pansexual American Airways has a bubble installed in each plane <laughs> uh, that is designed to uh, it's, the, it's the designated place for all passengers and airline personnel to eat, drink and use the restroom. Uh, one at a time, obviously. Uh, no one around to cheer you on as you windmill shit in the toilet and <laughs> and throw paper towel balls in the trash, yelling Kobe. You know, we just uh, you gotta do it all on your own. <laughs> so the bubble. So it literally, is the NBA bubble on the airline? That's what we're doing. That's what we got, dude. Uh, you know, this you know the insanity knows no bounds, but something tells me, especially out on the West Coast. Uh, this this airline would be doing extremely well. Is there a chance to potentially get a Buffalo Riot Wings into LAX before people can board pansexual airlines? Maybe they can go to the Riot Wings in the airport. Is that in the plans or is that just too much? Might be a conflict of interest, dude, because we actually do want to get this uh, plane off the ground. Uh, it's going really, to be really tough when, uh, when uh, the, the whole place <laughs> is getting burned down to the ground, dude. So we 
we're going to go ahead and keep those Buffalo Wild Wings locations uh, away from the airport, you know. Right. Good idea. Uh, that's a great idea. Well, Bro Exotic, I do appreciate you jumping on the sports antidote. Uh, huh, did I miss anything? Uh, no, pretty much covered it, dude. Yeah. Uh, pansexual American Airways. Uh, it's a it's a great place to fly or a pretty good place to get canceled in the council break. That's down with those penguins and Chinese bats. Well, Bro Exotic, uh, you never cease to amaze me. I really wish you luck with your airline, and uh, we look forward to having you on next week. We're not done with this by a long shot, though. I think we may have to cover some more pansexual airlines. Good luck in your uh, future investment. All right. Appreciate it, dude. Uh, no joke. Stay woke. And I'll uh, see you next week, bro. Stay woke. All right. Cheers, dude. Shots fired. Tommy Bench popping on the sports antidote. Had to take this one from the car. A little unconventional, but what's going on there, pal? I see you're trying to do the Robert Frank approach to things, but you got a long way to go, Chief. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, you missed last week. We don't have much time here, but you always have a good rep. So I don't even know where we're going. So why don't you just take us away? So th- there's so much to talk about, but let's keep it a little lighthearted. By now, everybody's aware of the recent uh, missteps by Joe Biden, whether it's Jill Biden. And when I say recent, I mean within the last four or five days. You know, I don't have to go back 90 days. I mean, within the last four or five, maybe six days. There was a a clip that was caught where Jill Biden uh, had to tell him, clap, clap, or, you know, look over there, wave over there. I mean, she had to give him very obvious stage directions. There was another time where he finished a speech. He turned to his right and, and very... very purposefully stuck his hand out as if he was expecting somebody to shake his hand. Now, who knows if that was a bad stage direction given to him or he thought he remembered somebody saying, no, no, Mr. President, after you're done speaking, so-and-so will walk up from your right side, stick your hand out. But it was just such a bad look. And then the most recent one, he was at the Easter egg hunt or the Easter egg roll that used to be a, you know, a, a signifying event of status in the Washington, D.C. area, if you could get a ticket to it. Uh, But it had been, of course, not done for the last two years, despite it being an outdoor event, Uh, you know, COVID. So, okay, they decided to bring it back where reporters started getting near Joe Biden and the Easter Bunny, someone dressed up as the Easter Bunny, came over to shoo the reporter's way and get Joe out of there. So, okay, look, any one of these events, And we're going to dive into one in particular, but these sort of things where you're getting handled by your staff, look, it's any public figure that happens and any one of these in isolation, it really would be, well, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. It's really not something worth focusing on. But the fact that we continue to have, and by the way, seven days from now, we'll have two or three examples of a similar thing. We'll have another two or three examples of very similar things, and they seem to keep happening really lends credence to the, is he all there? Now you set this against the backdrop of reporting that was reported in Politico and Axios. So not right-wing uh, conservative pundits by any stretch that Joe allegedly told Obama, I'm going to run in 2024. So again, I'd love to be on the fly, on, a fly on the wall in Democrat strategist planning not so I could spy on him and tell the Republicans. I, I just, I would honestly like to know what the smart people, and there are smart people on the other team. What are they saying? What are, when they get together and plan and think, how can, how can we keep control and keep our party in power? What are they saying to each other to try to further that objective? I, I can't imagine any of them like, Joe's the best answer. Joe's the best answer. And apparently what Biden told Obama is, I still think I'm the best guy to beat Trump in a rematch. And here's the sad thing. He might not be wrong. Now, let's let's dive into that. Are you you saying he would beat Trump? No. What I'm saying is of the current people in the Democrat orbit, circle, world, who could realistically win a primary, who could mount the best case against Trump. Now, again, Biden's case in 2020 was, I'm not that radical. I'm just a bump on a log. It'll be a return to calm normalcy. Right. That was his pitch. And unfortunately, it worked. I don't think you get to do that twice when you have a record of failure. And that's what he'll have, especially 
ask anyone, do you think things will get better two years from now than they are right now as a result of anything that administration does? I, I think you'd be hard pressed to say yes. So those events against that backdrop and the fact that we're probably going to see more and more of these sort of things in in greater number, again, not just the singular, public people get handled by their staff all the time, but that it seems to continue to happen. And, and it's it's in these ways where it appears he's totally clueless and has no clue going going into it. So let's dive into one of these events in, in specific, the Easter Bunny thing. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, all his B, C, and D rate staffers when they were they they were planning because and no president whether it's Trump or Biden or Obama no president goes to an event like that without his staff meticulously planning out every photo place and every possible opportunity to shake hands with the right people and look good. I can just see one of these overeducated, underperforming eggheads saying, I, "I've got a great idea. If if he gets in trouble, we'll just have the Easter Bunny." Whoever's dressed up as the Easter Bunny <laughs> will make one of our interns do it. And that's like the perfect – because the Easter Bunny can go anywhere and do anything at the Easter egg roll. And the fact that the rest of the room said, that's a great idea. Now, maybe it was one of their DE&I hires, so everybody was afraid to speak up and speak against Z, he, she, what, you know, what, whatever, whatever yeah, category yeah. they filled. You, know, you don't want to be the white guy that speaks up against that person because you know, then you look terrible. But the fact that a room full of them, I'm convinced that that's a great idea. That's a great way to, it'll, it'll be good optics. The Easter Bunny comes over and says, hey, Joe, come this way. But when he gets hauled off by the Easter Bunny, the president of the free world, let me tell you, if I were ever in a position of authority, you know, CEO of a Fortune 50 company, senator, president, some, some, something big time where you had a staff who had to play a role in handling you, and they sent a fictional character to remove me from whatever, I would punch the easter bunny in the face yeah, like, how, yeah. how dare you don't you ever treat me like i'm some kind of infant send a staffer over and say uh mr mr president mr senator it's it's time to go to the next event even if there is no next event and you're just worried that i'm about to step in it do not send a fic fictitious character to remove me from what you believe is a challenging situation yeah, bro i don't send that pagan rabbit over here bro exactly <laughs> you know let, let, let's get somebody dressed up as Jesus with the holes in the hands, having risen. I mean, at least at least make it a actual historical person. So it, it, it's just it leaves you thinking what in the world is going on and what are they going to do in 2024? You know, I, just a quick segue uh, and we'll get right back to this. You know, I heard someone actually arguing uh, on the radio. I forgot who played it. Uh, regardless of if you believe that Jesus, and we're not getting religious here, but he most certainly died on a cross. This is like historic. Oh, yeah. This, this absolutely happened. Regardless if you believe he made an encore on you, but one lady was like, it never happened. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. It's pretty historical. You know, there's a lot of things that go back, but whatever. I just thought that was interesting. The Encyclopedia Britannica states the, <laughs> that this well, happened, but, you know, whatever. Right. And, and one of the most interesting uh, statements about this, and I, I, I wish I could remember, and I, I recently saw it. I was reminded of it when I saw it recently. And, and I, uh, Chuck Colson, no, he was one of the guys involved. I feel bad that I can't remember the pastor. It, it might have even been Billy Graham. Billy Graham might have said this, but I, I wish I could remember. Somebody made the point that, you know, the Watergate scandal, right? And again, Nixon's only misstep was not immediately coming out to the press and saying, as soon as I became aware of this, I fired everybody involved. I didn't give these instructions. It was, it was, unfortunately, right, right. I think he felt some allegiance to the people involved and thought, well, let me see if I can help them out. Um, and it was something like the most 12 most powerful men in the world at the time couldn't keep a conspiracy in a secret under wraps for three weeks. Yeah. Yet all of the apostles and the, the dozens and dozens of other people who testified that they saw Jesus rise from the dead and their story was the same, many of whom were sentenced to death, never recanted. Right. Well, that's, we don't need to go down the right. So and I, an interesting anecdote. All right. So tying all this out, you recently sent me a screenshot that showed our boy, Ronnie D. Ron DeSantis. Uh, even. Clark. No. With Joe Biden. 
Right. So what happened was, and I'll be quick, the the, the, the presidential polls for the gamblers came out. The presidential the odds. Uh, odds. Trump, Biden plus 450, Trump plus 200, which is outrageous. We're going to have to save that whole thing for another one for me. And then DeSantis was kind of plus 800-ish. Now he's the same odds as Joe Biden, who would be the incumbent, which is unheard of. Unheard of, as long as I've been politically speculating on the gambling side. It is an ominous sign for a Democrat. doesn't mean that the Republicans are going to win, but the odds makers seem to think there's a good chance that Biden will not be your next president. Let's, let's put that in perspective. That would have been like if in 1996, the odds of H.W. coming back, making a comeback, were better than Clinton. And I don't know who was a a popular Republican governor in the 90s. Well, I mean, W was governor. Yeah, yeah. George, George W. So it would have been like if George W. was even with Bill Clinton in 96 and if H.W. was ahead in the odds in 90, which that would have been unfathomable. The idea that an incumbent president is not just the de facto favorite. favorite. Unless there's a Ross. And, and, yeah. Right, unless there's a spoiler. But is, is, the, is not the de facto favorite and, in fact, is tied with who most people believe is the guy who will come in second place if both, he, if both Trump and DeSantis. The general consensus is Trump would win the primary, uh, but DeSantis would be a strong showing in second. Although I, I have some theories about that, the, the winds possibly changing there. Uh, a lot will come out based on how Trump does in his endorsements in 2022. Uh, so more to follow on that. But we'll get into that. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that at a later the... date. Our, our former home state of Pennsylvania could, could get very interesting. All right. We haven't, we haven't douched it up in a while. And by that, I mean talk about some faddish fitness type thing. So sure, are you ready? Real quick. We've got two minutes. All right. So I started talking to you about intermittent fasting a couple of weeks ago. I am pretty consistently hitting 18, 19. I even hit 20 hours and 35 minutes today. And what I – yeah, well, what I'm finding – I am, I am very hungry by that 20, and I pretty much stuffed my face. And then I really don't feel like eating again in the four-hour window. Like, I, I almost feel like I'm going to end up at 22, too. And just... Well, as I've done it before, but I'm pretty hard on it now, and it certainly works. And the big thing that I do want to talk about the next time is all of the literature that suggests you have, you have to consume one gram of protein for every pound you weigh, and the whole you have I, to eat after you work out. I really start to think there's a lot of misliterature and uh, disinformation when it comes right. to this type of thing. Well, and, and like we talked about the other day on the phone, I think if you are a highly tuned athlete, there's probably elements of truth to that. If you're just the average guy, even, even oh, this will sound arrogant, above average in that you still go to the gym and try to hit it pretty hard, but you're not a professional athlete and, and you're just trying to not balloon up and maybe lose 10 or 15 pounds. And, and that's where I put the two of us, right? We still go to the gym. Yeah. You know, I, I focus a little more on the heavy lifting. You're a little more on the hit and, you know, high intensity cardio kind of stuff. But getting after it and, and I, I've, my weight has maintained. I've been in this between 235 and 240 for the last two, three weeks. And the only thing I've really been following is intermittent fasting. I pretty much, I mean, I've even had days where I eat absolute garbage. I mean, stuff my face with desserts, but then really shut it off at, at the right time and then don't eat for another 18 or 20 hours. Yeah. Uh, I'm about to go to a big trade show out in Las Vegas. I'm going to, well, it'll be a real test. Cause I, if I get to the gym twice over a five day period, that'll be, I'll consider that success. Uh, but if I can stick to the 20 and four, that'll be, that'll be good. Yeah, uh, and, and I might that. just hit the buffets at night. Yeah, you could, we'll get to it next week though. Um, I am in a very interesting spot and there are some interesting people <laughs> Buy my not so interesting Honda. So uh, let me go ahead and figure this out. But uh, anything you want to close with here, Bench? Uh, the the draft is coming up pretty soon. Don't we have to talk about that in a couple of weeks? Yeah, we'll talk about that coming up. Don't worry. And the Eagles and the Saints, your team and my team had a little bit of an exchange there, kind of historic. Kind of odd, but that'll be interesting. We'll dive into that. How to hot in these rhinos? Yeah, it is. All right, buddy. Well, appreciate you jumping on. Not trying to cut you short, but Belts is in a weird spot. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll talk to you soon, pal. Out here.
Thanks for joining the Sports Anload, episode number 96, Under the Gun. May have been a little deep there. Wasn't trying to be no tearjerker. I don't really think it was. I think you all kind of knew what was going on there. But my point is that sometimes when you're put in that decision and you're first to act, sometimes the most obvious thing is not the right thing to do. But when life does put you in that position, make no mistake, you're going to have to make one. Even if it's, in this instance, not making one, sometimes you can't fold. You have to call. You need to raise. You got to put them all in, even when you don't really have anything. It's kind of interesting how that works. Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Follow us at the Sports Antelope. Shout out to Tommy Bench and Bro Exotic. I'll shed some light on where I was <laughs> and why I had to record from the car. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. These dudes around the car. I was like, I'm about to get carjacked here. That would have been an interesting story. Carjacking live from the podcast. Anyway, do me one favor, boys. Keep it real. And a Oh, I got the riches. To fulfill my needs, got land in the sand of the West Indies. Even got a little island of my very own. I got a frog, a dog with a solid gold bone, and the count to account the amount.